Well, many of you are aware, about uh, last month, um, a handful of us uh, went to Rwanda to visit um, some of our, our dear friends and, and partners in ministry there um, and got to see uh, really firsthand uh, the, the incredible work that God is doing in and through them there in their context. And the way that we as a church here in Olathe uh, get to, to partner with them and work together and, and think through what does it look like for uh, Olathe uh, and Muzanza, uh, Rwanda, to, to, to partner, to connect and to, to serve one another. And while, there, while there's a lot of like really exciting things to talk about, stories to share, and, and we'll have opportunity to do that, uh, this morning actually, I want to talk about uh, really what, what is the ugliest part. Um, and even as I say that, right, I, I've hesitated all week whether or not, is this, is this the right way to do this? Is this the right place, the right setting? Because um, this, this is heavy. Um, but we need to hear it if we're going to, to partner with them. But even as we think about where we are in Matthew this morning, as we continue to study Matthew's gospel, um, I hope that you'll see that we're, we're going someplace with this uh, in a couple, a couple of minutes. But if you'd let me just sh- share a little bit of our experience there. Again, the hardest part, um, one, of the, one of the most difficult things, the very last day we were in Kigali, the capital city in Rwanda, uh, and we stood outside a grave, mass grave of 250,000 men, women, and children, all of them brutally murdered. It's about the, the size of a football field. And even just to put that in context, like that's, that's the entire population of Olathe, Gardner, Lenexa, and DeSoto combined. Every single person buried right there. And what, what's even, even harder to get your mind around, my mind around, is that was just in this little tiny country. I mean, Rwanda's not very big. That was one of several mass graves that, that hold somewhere around 1.2 million people. Um, who were killed during the genocide in, in 1994. In 100 days. By their friends and neighbors. And, and not like, you know, we think, okay, maybe like in some distant, vague past, right? Um, but 22 years ago, right? As one group decided to systematically eliminate another. And it, it'd be easy for us, right, to sort of, push that aside anyway. Okay, yeah, it was recent, but that's, it's Africa's problem. And we, we kind of chalk it up to sort of tribalism or, or, or whatever kind of thing we want to push it so we don't have to feel it, right? Um, but the reality is, I mean, one of the things I learned is that these two groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis, they actually have a history of getting along. Um, it wasn't until the Western colonizers and missionaries pitted them against one another so they could maintain their own power uh, that the strife began back in the, in the 50s and 60s. Now, now, listen, uh, today, I mean, the nation is beautiful, it's safe, and, and beginning to flourish in, in many ways. It, it's setting, uh, setting the stage for that part of Africa, for economic flourishing and development, all those kinds of things. And the work that our brothers and sisters are doing there is absolutely remarkable. God is alive in Rwanda. It just first sure felt like he was sleeping 22 years ago, Right? It wasn't him who was asleep, it was his church. Because the worst part to me, I mean, as bad as all that is, what what continues to be the hardest hardest thing for me to begin to understand is that during the time of the genocide, 86% of the population were churchgoers. 
86% claim to follow Jesus. 86% they were a Christian nation when this happened. One afternoon, while there, we were driving through the countryside and, and our, our friend Bonda, he leads the organization that we partner with. He was showing us around and kind of in passing, he pointed out at a church. It was this, this church. I took the picture on the way back. And it was almost sort of, sort of in passing. He said, this, this church um, is, a, is a place where the pastor invited all those oppressed people in, into the church for, for safety, for sanctuary, right? He said, come here and we will keep you, keep you safe. And so 700 of them huddled there in fear while the pastor gave the order that slaughtered his own congregation. And hearing that, it's like, okay, so, like, that's, that's, the, that's an extreme example, right? That's, that's like, it's, that's got to be like the isolated worst case scenario, right? But the reality is, as I've, as I've done more and more research, I've been reading lots of books. And in fact, if, you, if you're curious about more and thinking about how we relate to them, if you want a, a book to read, a documentary to watch, I'd be glad to, to recommend um, a handful to you. Uh, but the reality is that kind of thing was just par for the course. Now, certainly, I mean, please, please hear me. There, there were plenty of Christians who stood alongside uh, in, in both groups, right, who, who cared for one another, who sought to protect one another, who died together. Those Christians who actually, like, listened to Jesus, right, and did what he would call them to do in, in such a terrible situation as that. There are stories like that. But there are lots of stories of church members killing their own, pastors, nuns setting fire to crowded buildings. 86% going to church every Sunday. Plenty of people who heard, right? I mean, they heard about Jesus' love and compassion, but they hadn't listened. Many of them hadn't. And, and I, again, I mean, I, I realized hearing that, it's such an extreme example. And like, if you're like me in this moment, it's like, even, even as I've read this stuff and, I, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's affected my dreams. Thing, I mean, I've just done, kind of absorbed myself in this place these last couple of weeks since being home. Um, and you don't know whether to like to weep or to, to break something, to throw up or to apologize, right? Somehow for, for our, our own inaction or complicity. So why... Why bother starting our time together here this morning? Well, a couple of reasons. For one, as I said, this church is our church, and we've chosen that we here in Olathe, these are our brothers and sisters, and we're going to partner with them. And we want to understand what the context is that they're working as they rebuild in the midst of the rubble, and as we partner with them in that rebuilding, their pain is our pain, and we need to know. But the other reason... It's quite simply to demonstrate what Jesus is talking about this morning. It's sort of alive and, yes, very extreme examples of what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 13. That not every soil bears fruit. And not everyone who hears is really listening. It's easy to hear. We all hear. We can hear all day long, right? Blah, 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 right? It's easy to hear, but Jesus wants listeners People who are, who are changed by what he brings to us. Bonda, for example, in his book, really, this book is essentially about uh, the breakdown of the church um, during that time period. Um, 
Again, he's, he's our, our partner there, the relationship. And he attributes part of the problem in 94, and there's lots of things that can be said, like all the things, different factors and propaganda and education. I mean, so many things that, that played into this. But he attributes a lot, a lot of it just to the fact that pastors thought if you have a full church, your job is done, right? Uh, if, if you're, like the goal is to be considered a Christian nation, if you've got that covered, if you've got enough people hearing, then it's all gonna be, it's all gonna be okay. But, but clearly that's not true. And I know this is an extreme example, maybe the most extreme. And yet I hope it forces us to wrestle with, with ourselves, right? Not, not that we're like on this path headed in this direction. And yet it's easy for us to put ourselves aside and say, well, our church, our church here, we're full, right? Look around, this is not bad, right? Well, we've got it covered, we're done. We can all go home. Some of you are like, Really? <laughs> Can we? No, you can't. Uh-huh. Wait, wait till I'm finished. Um, or, or to think, you know, some, some might still say, right, that, that we live in a Christian nation. And it's easy to think, like, that's, that's enough. That's all, all it takes. We've all heard Jesus. Big deal. Are we listening? Am I listening. And so we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 13. And for those of you who've been with us, right, we've been journeying together in Matthew, kind of following his argument along as Jesus gets closer and closer and and closer uh, to the cross. And we heard part of chapter 13 read, um, but essentially it's one of Jesus' most famous parables. Parables are stories, basically. Jesus told these, these stories often to the crowds. And this is probably his most famous one. It's the parable of the sower. And so kind of, kind of picture what's happening here, right? Great crowds are around him. Jesus is at the height of his popularity. We've talked about that. The Pharisees, they're, they're hating him more and more. But everybody else loves Jesus at this point. And he has a bunch of people who are ready to hear, right, what he has to say. And what's really strange in that moment, right? He's got this captivated audience and he tells them this really weird story. Actually, a whole bunch of them. We'll look at more of them next week. Kind of in a row here. The first one, kind of this main one, this big one, basically he's describing these, these, these four soils, right? There's this sower, a farmer, a gardener. He's out tossing seed, right? Doing his thing. Some of it lands on the path, the birds eat it. This, this is the sermon, right? Um, some of it falls on, on uh, rocky ground, right? Sprouts up. Uh, but the sun scorches it. Other, other seed falls on thorny ground. The weeds, weeds end up choking it out. And, and then some, of course, falls on, on good soil and it grows and it multiplies. It flourishes. It does. It bears the fruit that it's supposed to. So that's his sermon. And he ends, like, even more cryptically with, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he drops the mic and, and walks off, right? <laughs> I mean, I mean, Jesus, he, he does interesting things, right? And while Jesus, he, he's going to explain it to his followers, and when we get there, I hope we'll see. I mean, it's absolutely brilliant what Jesus is doing there. And we'll, we'll actually spend the majority of our time sort of tilling through these four soils. But before that happens, Jesus, he goes to his, or his disciples go to him, and, and they're just like, you know, Jesus, tell us straight, would you, what, what do you do? Why do you tell stories? Especially stories like this. Like, what are you trying to do? Just, just tell people. You got a captive audience. Everybody's hearing you. 
which is a really important question for them to ask and for us to wrestle with because, because there are so many parables in the Gospels, and we'll talk, look through some of them next, next Sunday as well. But Jesus' answer to the question is itself a little bit of a riddle. Look, look at verse, uh, verse 11. He says to the disciples in response to their question, he says, to you disciples, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Thanks, Jesus. It's all clear now, right? Thanks for helping us out. Um, but essentially, I mean, it's, it's, it sounds more complicated than it really is. Jesus is essentially saying that I tell stories because I don't just want people to hear me. I want them to listen. I, I, want, them, I want them to understand that. Even that word for understand that Jesus used there, uh, we think of understand as purely cognition, right? It's, just, it's all up here in the realm of ideas. But that, that Greek word that's used there, it's, it's a, very clearly tied with volition. Like it's understanding that changes something about us. Jesus, Jesus tells us stories because he wants us to be different by the time he gets to the end of the story rather than passive. And the best stories, he's saying, both reveal and hide. And frankly, they reveal a whole lot about the, the listener. Even, even think about it this way, like, um, I mean, you can like, listen to a, a, a friend tell a story, right? We all have those friends. Some, some are good storytellers. Some of them, you know, better use of their time, right? Um, and you can, you can sit there and you can listen to them and the story doesn't demand anything of you, right? You can just, it, let's say you're not interested. You can, uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh, sure, yep, uh-huh, yep, great. I mean, you can, you can move it along. And it's not, it doesn't require anything of you. If you're uninterested, when the story's over, it's over, right? And it can be done and finished. You walk away and just, you know, forget about it, right? Or if you're interested, if you want more, if you want to understand that a story's never finished, right? I mean, you could, there's always more that could be said. Always, well, tell me about this. What was this like? How did it feel when? Uh, tell, tell me more. Show me, show me, do you have any pictures? Of, I mean, there's always more that you can draw out of a storyteller. To the uninterested, stories can be ignored. But to the curious, they make you long for more. And Jesus, he gives us the same freedom. It's like, you don't have to listen, right? But for those who are listening... More will always be given. Even, even for example here, uh, if you're looking at your Bibles, in 14 and 15, Jesus quotes the prophet Isaiah. And it's an interesting quote. And really the context there uh, of Jesus quoting that, it's the context around Isaiah is that God has just told Isaiah to preach his good news all the time and everywhere, basically. And he's like, Isaiah, I want you to go out and I want you to preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach and preach. Nobody's going to listen to you, not one person. Not nobody. But I, I want you to go and, and keep preaching. Which sounds like an awesome job from God, right? But you see what, what's happening there in Isaiah and what, why Jesus is quoting this, why it's so important is, is that, I mean, he's giving us a picture that God is always reaching for us. I mean, the sower is like always recklessly throwing out seed, just tossing it all out there, right? Hoping that it'll, it'll take root and grow but he's not going to drag us along. And Jesus' stories force us to either tune him out 
or dig deeper. As we've said throughout this, this time in Matthew, right? There's never any middle ground, right? And so with the story, you're, you're forced in one direction or the other. Now, Jesus' disciples, they are listening. I mean, that's part of what it means to be a disciple, right? And so they ask for more, and so Jesus gives them more, which is really where we'll spend the, the, the rest of our time together. Because Jesus explains to them what he means by these, these four soils, the, the hardened soil, the rocky soil, the thorny soil, and the good soil. And really, again, what he's getting at there is that not, not every soil bears fruit, and not everyone who hears is actually listening. And so Jesus wants us to wrestle. Like, am, am I listening? Like, real, like not, just, not just, am I listening? What kind of soil am I? Okay, so first, the hardened soil. We spent quite a bit of time there in chapter 12 last week, didn't we? This picture of, of the hardened heart, the one that just, frankly, wants nothing to do with Jesus. No matter what, it's like, just no way, Right? Uh, and for this in the metaphor, the, the path is just too hard for the seed to take root, right? I mean, it's like when you're overseeing your lawn, right? Some of it ends up on the, on the driveway. Some of it's on the sidewalk or on the patio, right? That seed is not going to grow, right? It's not the seed's fault. It's just that the surface is just too hard. And for some of us, our hearts are simply too crusty for the seed to take root. And so Jesus says, as he explains this to them, verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Again, keep in mind, understands here. It's not, it's not merely up here, right? It's not, it's not that they're ignorant, okay? It's not what Jesus is saying. It's that they just don't, they don't want it. They, 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 nothing, they don't want nothing to do with it. And in our refusal to understand... Eventually, the seed is going to get snatched up and taken away. I mean, it's, it's a pretty strong warning if you think about what Jesus is getting at. Like, eventually, like if your heart, heart is heart, heart is hard. <laughs> Just like English is hard. Uh, if your heart is hard, uh, eventually, like even what you do, even the interest that you do have, even that, there's no guarantee it's going to stick around. Like if you reject Jesus long enough, there's a good chance you're going to end up rejecting him always. The seed, even the tiniest seed of interest might disappear. And this was the case with many of the Pharisees, right? As we talked about them. So I think all of us, we have to ask, right? I have to ask, how hard is my heart? And I'm not sure, I'm not sure the right question is, is my heart hard or soft? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's, there's gradations in all of us, right? There are places in which it's, man, it's hard in this area, maybe a little softer here, but I, I don't want anything to do with Jesus in this, this spot of my life, but here it's okay. And I mean, we, we kind of we do that, right? We, we like Jesus, or at least parts of him, but he wants all of us. So it's very easy for us to think, right? Maybe, maybe for some of us, um, if you're honest with yourself, you can think, you know, I wouldn't want Jesus even if blank. Hey, and there's nothing like that could possibly satisfy whatever it is in that blank. Or maybe for others of us, especially for those of us who have been a part of church longer, right, and kind of we know the right things to say and do, maybe it's more of like, I'm good with Jesus, but I wouldn't obey him in this area of my life. Money, sex, power, family, I mean, whatever it is for you, right? But I wouldn't, I wouldn't obey him there for anything, right? 
even if, you know, blank happened. What Jesus is pushing us at, I mean, to see is how incredibly dangerous that is. Beware the birds don't come and snatch away even what little interest you have in Jesus now. Even what small areas in which you're willing to obey him, even now. Some of us, the seed is just gonna sit right there and it's never actually gonna penetrate in. Hard soil, hard hearts, deaf ears. Okay, well, these next two are a little bit more subtle, which I think actually makes them more dangerous, frankly. Even more dangerous, I think, than the hardened soil. Because for these, you can kind of blend in, right? Everything looks okay. These two soils, they look great, at least for a while. A plant can grow up looking green and lush and right. I mean, they go to church. They know the right things to say, the right things to do in the right settings. And perhaps, like, even maybe they're convinced. Even maybe you're like, yes, I'm in. This is, this is for me. Well, for a while... And this is where I think Jesus, his brilliance comes out so clearly. He knows how easy it is for our hearts to wander, how quickly lured away we are. Because both these two soils in the middle, the rocky and the thorny, I mean, it's almost like one, one person is, is, is lured away by something terrible happening. And it's almost like the other is lured away by the, the glitter, the distract, the good things in life. But the reality is the result is the same. And for some of us, we're, we're rocky soil. Rocky soil. And you can't, you can't necessarily see the rocks, right? But it, they're, you know, an inch or, inch or so below the surface. And so your roots can't possibly dig. And our hearts end up being incredibly shallow. And as long as things are good in our life, like we, you know, our wish list continues to get checked off like we want it to, and things go smooth and all, as long as it looks good, it's good. And we can kind of blend in and do fine. But as soon as the heat turns up, you know, like for example, again, I know it's, it's an extreme example, but if you're faced with a scenario in which, you know, if you, if you point out where your neighbors are hiding, they will be killed. But if you don't point out where they're hiding, you will be killed, right? That's a, that's a pretty crucial crossroads, right? Who, who in that moment do you, do you listen to, right? When the heat turns up, look at, look at verse 20, how Jesus says it. He says, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. Hears and receives it with joy. Like everything looks perfect. Even feels perfect. I gotta tell you, like this one, these are all scary. I, maybe this one for me, ah, I don't know, thorns. It's quite competitive there, but this is one of the scariest ones for me for sure. Because I, I, I think, here, here's why. It's because um, for most of us, life is just fine, right? I mean, not, I, I don't wanna minimize our problems. Some of us have, have real deep problems, but generally speaking, we're just a pretty comfortable, have it easy kind of people, Right? which means that some of us can live an inch deep for decades without even realizing it. You just don't even know it. You just assume the roots are okay, but it's because the sun hasn't come out yet. You haven't been burned. 
And then suddenly something happens, anything, right? Big or small, but there's something that happens and, and all of a sudden you just, like life with Jesus is gonna be like that? Because it's, it's, it's just not what you signed up for. And maybe, I mean, as Jesus says here, maybe it's even because of him. Like it's because of who he is and what he's doing in your life that you get passed over for promotion. He's just not gonna take cut corners, right? Or you get laughed at by people you'd like to be friends with or ostracized by those that you're uh, friends with because you, you stand for different ideals, you believe different things than they do and they, they end up pushing you away and you feel, you feel abandoned by them. Or, or for, for some of it, like you, you can't maybe find a, a, a guy to be with you because you want to wait, right? And you're still single simply because you're trying to honor Christ. And eventually, is this, is this really worth it? Or again, maybe something just terrible happens, right? And you didn't know life with Jesus was going to look like this. And your shallow roots begin to wilt. Got to ask, is my heart rooted? Like, is it, is it really ready for this? Am I, what do I expect life to be anyway? Like in a broken, fallen world, if we understand how broken things are, like, do we really expect life with Jesus just to be happy-go-lucky and smooth and easy? I'm guessing most of us here would say, no, I don't expect that. But then maybe ask yourself, like, on the, on the flip end, right, the opposite sort of way, like, are you surprised when junk happens in your life? Just, like, catch you off guard, like, all of a sudden something falls apart and you're like, God, where were you? And you begin to pull away from him as if God owes you special favors, Right? That his world is somehow supposed to be less broken for you than it is for everybody else. And we quickly begin to, to step back further and further and further with him. Maybe just even fill in the blank. Like, uh, you know, I'd be done with Jesus if blank happened. Like, what would, it, what would it take for you to just be like, you know, I'm out. Nowhere does Jesus promise an easy life. Instead, what he tells us to do is to take up our cross and suffer beside him, to expect not comfort or ease or happiness or success, to expect suffering, to plan for an early, untimely, painful death on account of him. But then to be resurrected in a world made new. The problem is in a culture like ours, we tend to think that we're already there, like we've already arrived in this new world and everything should be fine and dandy. We don't have to wait for something distant in the future, but we're not there yet. Beware the heat that's coming. Your roots, my roots, they're gonna be tested. Not all of us will survive. But of course, it's not just bad things that push us away. It's just as often the good things. So as we've said, right, there's a hard heart, a shallow heart. This one's really the divided heart. It's the one that's like, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll believe in you until I find something better, right? I'll follow you 
as long as you agree with everything that I want, right? I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of that mentality, right? Or, or worse, like you try to have both. Like I can have Jesus and I can live for my, my own personal gratification, right? I can, I can have Jesus and live to acquire all the wealth I can possibly acquire, right? I can have Jesus and worship and idolize my family and, and put them over other, other priorities, right? It's sort of that kind of mindset. And Jesus, what he says here, he says, as for what was sown, it's verse 22, sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. And this is where, as I was thinking about this sermon and writing this, I thought, man, this could have been written yesterday, this, par- this parable that Jesus gives. It doesn't matter what time period you live in, what culture you're found. I mean, Jesus is absolutely brilliant. Don't forget his brilliance as he brings out, exposes where every one of us lives. And he's saying here that even, even the, the cares of this world, right? They're just, we're too busy, we're too distracted. It's not that you don't want Jesus, you just don't have time for him, right? We just get too exhausted trying to live our full and happy lives. And the deceitfulness of riches, that is a powerful image, isn't it? That's an incredible sort of personification of riches. That it's there trying to deceive us. And we know it's true, Right? We know the lies it tells. Like, if you have more of me, you'll be happy, right? If you, if you have a bigger house and a nicer car, you'll be important, right? Or if you make more, you'll be, you'll be more important. Or if your kids have more, they'll be better off. Or, or you know, if, if I have a bigger bank account, then I'll be safer. Lie after lie. And we, I believe them, right? And, and I quickly go back to say, yes, riches. Yes, please, would you, would you do that for me, right? Over and over, we go back to it. And you look back and you see the plant of your life, right? This image that Jesus paints for us. And it looks fine right now. I mean, yeah, you can kind of see a few weeds off in the corner. Just over there, it's going to be all right, right? But unaddressed, what happens to weeds? Just look at your lawn, right? You turn around and come back and there's like 30 more, right? And all of a sudden they're everywhere and they begin coming closer and closer. I mean, that's weeds are just uncontrollable, right? And slowly they encircle you and they squeeze tighter and tighter and tighter until you swear you can have both. I can have Jesus and blank until, until eventually becomes, I, I would trade Jesus for a little more blank. And some of us, some of us, even right now, I'm afraid, some of us are, are choking to death already and we don't even know it. Jesus says, beware. I mean, what, would it, what would it be for you? What good thing in your life, if abused or idolized or simply unaddressed, just might choke you out? And what are you going to do about it? Not every soil bears fruit. And not everyone who hears is really listening. Now, thankfully, that's not where, where Jesus leaves us. It's even obvious in the story, right? Well, there's got to be one good one, right? Not all the soil, I mean, be one lousy gardener, right? Uh, there's got to be some soil that's good, that's actually going to, to grow and flourish. A receptive heart. Only the heart that's open truly hears. Verse, verse 23. 
As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another case 60, and in another case 30. And we hear that, right? And you can hear the story and you're like, well, of course that's the soil I want to be, right? I mean, well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's how the story's told at least. It's to, it's to grab us and say, yes, that's, that's the one. And yet, I mean, if you're honest with yourself, right? As I've been wrestling this week, kind of forces you at the same time, say, well, is that really my heart? What kind of soil am I? Like, how do I know if my, if my soil is good? Because if we look deep within, we can see the places where, where there is a little bit of hardness or, or rockiness or thorniness in there. We're all a mixed bag. And yet Jesus here, I think even implicit in these soils, in this text, there, there are kind of a few tests to see whether or not your life is, is planted on good soil. It's in comparison with the other soils in, in some ways. For, for example, if you know some of those hard places in your heart, and yet you're, you're fighting against them. I mean, you're not there yet. They're still a mess, right? But you're, you're pushing towards it, and you're still, you're still coming back to Jesus for more, right? Just like the disciples. It hasn't, it hasn't been snatched away because you're, you're here and you're still listening. And maybe for some of you, maybe you see the places in which your heart is slowly beginning to soften. Or, or for others, maybe, maybe you've, you've just faced your share of disappointment. Life has not been what you planned for. Frankly, nothing, nothing even remotely close. And you felt the pain. You felt the tribulation. You know what it's like to suffer. And looking back, you can see how any one of those things could have ruined you. Could have absolutely obliterated your faith but you're here and your roots are getting deeper. Or you've just looked at the cares of the world, the distractions. You've, you know, I'm just, I'm not gonna be sucked in by it. You, you've looked, you've called riches the liar that it is. I'm, I'm just, I'm not gonna be sucked in by a bigger income, bigger house, bigger savings, more toys, more everything. I'm just, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I know that it's lying. I'm not gonna believe the lie. And you choose to live simply and generously instead. And the weeds are beginning to recede. And really the biggest test that Jesus gives here, it's, it's fruit, right? The good soil bears fruit. I mean, not only, not only are you flourishing, but your life is, is reproducing. To, you know, do I see the fruit of my faith? Do I see evidence that I'm actually, I'm not just hearing Jesus week after week or every time I open my Bible, I'm actually listening to him, actually beginning to understand and be changed by him, obedience, life change, and the multiplication of his kingdom flowing out from my life. And that's, that's really the image, right? That our life ought to re reproduce more seeds so the sower can continue his work and have more seed to be able to cast out and throw out so others can enter in as well. Do we see that kind of fruit? You know, one example, I thought back just even to our, our sisters and brothers in Rwanda and the, the church that they're uh, rebuilding um, in that place. And I don't just mean like new walls, but like you can imagine, right? It's such terrible things, such atrocities, what it must be like uh, to start over in some ways with, with the good news of what Jesus has done and the, and the way the true believers are, are attempting to come alongside and bring forgiveness and reconciliation. Um, now people are listening. 
I mean, they, they know they need radical forgiveness and reconciliation. That, frankly, it's a work that only God can do, right? They know that they need him to be their judge rather than vengeance or retaliation, and they hunger for something more. And they're actually giving their lives to Jesus. Like committers of the atrocities alongside those to whom, against whom they were committed, worshiping together, beginning to bear fruit, not just filling churches, but actually restoring lives. You know what? We get to see that here too. That's one of the fun things about being a pastor is to get a window into uh, your life oftentimes. You know, I don't obviously see all of it, but little, little snippets that you sort of let me in or you invite me in and I get a, get a glimpse. I get to see the fruit. It's, it's hard to see the fruit in your own life sometimes, right? Because you're too close to it. But to be able to look out and see so many examples of that and, and many of you here who, you're here, but you weren't, you weren't Christians like six months ago or a year ago. But you've met Jesus. You've given him your life and you're beginning to change. Or, or for, for many of you, it's such a, a continual story we hear of folks who, you know, church was, maybe when I was a kid, it was a long time ago, it's been a long time, but now, now you're back and you're beginning to, to grow and there's, there's fruit beginning to emerge in your life. Or other, others of you, maybe you've been following Jesus a long time, but now you feel like he has, he has more of your heart than he's ever had before. We see it in, in the way people serve one another or love one another or, or build into the lives of each other or live sacrificially or generously together outside of our own sort of narrow window telling others about Jesus, inviting others to encounter him, you know, planting the seed alongside the sower. And I know it'd be, it'd be tempting, right, to, to hear that and just like, well, let's just pat ourselves on the back and kind of move on, you know. Um, it's all good. We can, we can celebrate what's happening here, what's happening in Rwanda. And yes, we celebrate. Of course we do. But we can't be naive either. He is the sower. We're the soil, right? I mean, essentially, we're, like, we're the dirt that God gets to do his work in. And again, don't, don't take that too far because there's incredible dignity. We're made in the image of God and we are beautifully and wonderfully made and yet the fruit is all his. For he watered it with his own blood, dying on the cross for our sins, and he rose again, bursting forth out of the ground, stronger than any plant possibly could, so that we could actually be changed. And I know for many of us, right, we hear this, and I thought this all this week, like, well, what am I supposed to do, though, right? Like, I hear this, I, the soils, I don't want to be this, I don't want to be that, but what, am I, what do I do? How do I change my soil? Well, you don't. You can't. Honestly, in many ways, it begins by just acknowledging how incredibly powerless you are. That we have to rely fully on the gardener to do his work for us. Because only the gardener can till up the path, no matter how hard that ground is. Only he can do it. And only, only this gardener is, is willing to get down on his hands and knees and pull out all the rocks and, and all the shallow places, right? Who's willing to do the work of pulling the weeds and plucking up all the thorns and allowing our lives to actually begin to flourish. Only, only he can do that. Really, there's only two things left for us. First, you gotta, you gotta ask him. You gotta, you gotta invite him in. Just as, just as the reason Jesus tells for you know, telling these stories, right? He's not gonna force it. We invite him in. We invite the gardener to do his work. And that's true. Whether, whether this is your first time in church, you've been here like every Sunday forever, right? Say to him, Jesus, would you till the soil of my heart? 
and keep telling it. When you take out the hard places, the, the shallow places, the places where I get distracted and, and pursue things that aren't going to satisfy me. God, would you, would you till my heart? And it's going to hurt, right? It's going to be painful, that work. But ask him to do it. And then second, when you see him doing that, when you see him res- responding uh, to, to your request, right? You see him beginning to do that work and you, you know, whether it's, you just have a desire to obey more, you see the thorns more clearly or, or whatever it is, whatever work you see God doing in your life, continue to respond to him. Ask for it and respond to it when he does it. Give him a little more ground. Get out of the gardener's way. Let him do that work. For Jesus says, the one who has, right, the one where it's growing a little bit, that one will be given more. If he's allowed to do his work, it'll continue to flourish and grow bigger and stronger and fuller. Friends, we, we have a sower who sows recklessly. I mean, don't we, without abandon, casting out seeds, longing for all of it to multiply, to bear fruit, for he gave his life for this harvest. He came crossing heaven and earth to be with us. He's not merely a gardener, right? Who's just purely interested in fruit, but he came to give his life so that we could experience it. We could be changed. We could live the kind of whole life that we were created for. Ask him to do that work in you and respond to him when you see that work. Let him who has ears hear. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would not just simply hear. God, I know there are so many times in my life when I've, um, I'm sure even stood up here preaching or read my Bible on my own or listened to sermons and I heard every word and none of them mattered. God, I pray that we would listen to your voice, that you would grant us understanding and change. God, we do want to be the people that you've called. We want to flourish. Show us what that looks like. God, put the people around us that we need to be able to flourish together and help us to pursue you. God, you are the great gardener and we invite you to till every bit of soil in our messed up hearts. Grow your fruit, we pray. God, I pray these things as well for our brothers and sisters in Rwanda. God, I'm so thankful that you have um, put our church and theirs together. Um, God, I pray that we would love them, that we'd pray for them, that we would understand the context in which they're serving and that we'd long to see your fruit in that place as well. God, continue to do that work both here and there. And we trust you for this, Lord Jesus. We pray. Amen.